0: Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. Welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's um it's been a a very strange strange week. Strange week in a very very strange year. 2016 has been full of madness and badness and weirdness and rare occurrences stuff that we never thought could happen happened and fuck who knows what's going to happen between now and December 31st i don't even know what it could be but i guarantee you there's something that's going to make us go oh, f- what how no this doesn't make any sense to me you know what it is though i figured it out i was trying to i was trying to work out what it is about 2016 that has made it such a Such a mad year. So I'm sure I've explained on this podcast before that I look for uh, patterns in numbers, right? Sometimes they're obvious, sometimes not so obvious. But 2016, I was looking at the numbers. I was trying to work it out, scribbling on my pad. 2016, what could it be? And then I figured it out. I was looking and it was 2 plus 1 is 3. 3 by 6 is 18, now, 18 does not look like a particularly evil number. In fact, it's a number that many people like because that's when you can uh, legally buy booze and you can vote and, and those sort of things. Oh, uh, I'm not sure about voting anymore these days. Not sure everybody should be allowed, but that, that's a different thing. So we've got the number 18, right? So what, what's happening here? Think of the ways, though, that you can make 18 10 plus 8. 9 plus 9, 17 plus 1, but that's obvious. But what if you added 6, and 6, and 6? That's right. It's clear that Damien Thorne, child star of The Omen, is in charge of 2016. He's got the 666 on his head, and he's sitting up there at the controls... Feet up on the sofa, lying back. Ah, oh, here we go. What'll I do? I'm going to do something crazy here. Oh, yeah, let's see. Oh, kill David Bowie. Ha-ha, <laughs> fuck you, David Bowie. That's what I'm going to do. Now what'll I do? Oh, I don't know. I think I'll, uh, I'll make Leicester win the Premier League. Leicester win. What? Someone's up there going, come on, man. You're going to ruin this game for the rest of us. Fuck off, says Damian Thorne. No, Prince. I'm going to kill Prince. No, you can't. You can fucking kill Prince and David Bowie in the same year. You'll you'll wreck everything. I'm doing it. I'm Doing it. I'm gonna kill Prince. And wait till you see what I'm gonna fucking do in November. <sighs> see. So it's um, it's it's a strange year, and I hope that when uh, it finishes, uh, someone good gets to be in charge of next year because I think we all deserve, we all deserve a little bit better. Weird, strange. I found this week very strange. Um, my tolerance for, I guess, intolerance is uh, absolutely at an all-time, an all-time low. Um, I just, I worry. I'm a bit afraid of things at the moment. Like, you know, I know there's a lot of really good and decent. People out there, I know there are. Um, lots of them emailed me this week after the thing that I wrote on on Wednesday, um, and I appreciate very much all the feedback on that. Not all of it was positive, but I, you know, I was expecting, I was expecting that, um, and I won't apologize for it. I wasn't necessarily passing judgment on on other people's politics or their decisions. I tried to say that I I understood why people would vote against the political dynasties or dynasties, uh, whichever way you want to put it. I understand that completely. And I'm not going to turn this into a big long diatribe about politics or anything like that, but I'm not going to apologize for believing that we should treat each other well and with compassion, with kindness, uh, with understanding to try and see that at the end of it all, we're all just people. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what we believe in, what God we believe in, if we believe in a God or not. What's the color of your skin? Who do you want to go to bed with? Who do you love? None of those things should matter because at the end of the day, we're adults, grown-ups. hopefully, who can understand that. We can't be all the same. We can't all think the same way. We're not homogenous. We're not robots. We're not machines. But don't let those things divide us and don't let those things push us apart and cause problems and difficulties, not just for the people that you deem different. Don't forget, you know, that you're different to them. And as I said on the, uh, on the, the post that I wrote on Wednesday, Arse Blog will always be a place uh, that's open and inclusive to everybody. Everybody, apart from, you know, Phil Collins and that, but basically everybody. And that's the way it should be. And people who can't get on board with that or aren't on board with that. Sorry, but there's loads of places on the Internet you can go and hang out, right? I'll do my thing. You do your thing. The world will keep on turning. So there. So look, um... It's going to be a weird show because there's no, uh, there's no football because it's the interlull and the interlull is causing us a few problems in terms of injuries. Alexis Sanchez is away with Chile, and uh, Arsene Wenger is apparently very unhappy about uh, a situation that's going on over there. Chile say that he has a minor calf strain. Arsene Wenger believes he has a hamstring problem. He says it's going to be suicidal if he plays against Uruguay on Tuesday night. And uh, I have to agree, as much as you would admire Alexis Sanchez's desire to, to do something for his country, if he plays on Tuesday and aggravates an injury that he knows he has and misses... Two months, three months, that's a really, really poor thing for him to do. We've got very important games. He's been one of our best players this season. He is being trusted by the manager to play as the centre forward. We don't have a lot of depth in that area at just this moment in time either. Olivier Giroud is just coming back from injury, but Lucas Perez, of course, is out till the end of December. Uh, Danny Welbeck won't be back until January, and he's going to need some time to get back up to full fitness. So if Alexis injures himself or or, or aggravates this injury and has uh, has got to spend some time out, then we're left with just one striker. There we go again. The depth that we thought we had, we we no longer have. So I hope, um, if there's any uh, chance of uh, Alexis causing himself some some serious problems, I hope he has the common sense of the, uh, and the. Uh, The commitment, I would say, to Arsenal to to not play for Chile on Tuesday night, whenever it might be. If it's a minor thing that he feels like he can get through, then maybe that's a bit different. But Arsene Wenger seems very concerned, having spoken to uh, the media yesterday about it. And on top of that, November, 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 November. Hector Bellerin is apparently injured, and he's going to be out until sometime next month. He's got ankle ligament damage. I don't know what happened, whether he um, did something in training, away with the Spanish under-21s. He was in the squad, and then all of a sudden they said he's out of the squad, and he was replaced by the guy from Sunderland, Manquillo, I think it is. Um, So that would be a bit of a blow if that's the case. The guy that broke the news yesterday uh, is the same guy, a Spanish journalist, I think, um, who also broke the news that uh, Lucas Perez was going to miss six to eight weeks. So it seems like a fairly reasonable source. So that's bad news. So. <sighs> Damien Thorne, sitting up in fucking wherever you are, playing with the controller, stop injuring our players. Fucking cunt. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get Alexis and then Hector Bellerin. Oh, wait, you see what I do now, you. So it's been bad. So it's, it's a strange kind of a, well, not a strange kind of a show, a different kind of a show, because what we've got is an interview, uh, a long interview. Well, it's about a 35-minute interview with uh, a man called Stephen Bradley. Now, I don't know if uh, all of you would know who Stephen Bradley is, but he's a, a young, still very young, he's only 31 years of age, ex-footballer, now has moved into the world of uh, coaching and managing. He was the caretaker-manager with... Uh, Shamrock Rovers here in the League of Ireland uh, this year, but he's also Arsenal's chief scout in Ireland and Northern Ireland, and uh, he was a a young player of some very serious potential who arrived over um, to Arsenal at the age of 15, really, really highly thought of. He was in the same group as Seb Larson, uh, Morris Volz, players like that. That was his era, and he was tipped for big things, Liam Brady, uh, made sure that he came to Arsenal. Um, there are other clubs after him. You'll hear him talk about how Alex Ferguson took him out for dinner here in Dublin to try and woo him to Manchester United. This is how highly thought of he was, but things didn't really work out. You'll you'll hear why. Um, so we talk about his arrival at Arsenal, about what happened then, why things went wrong why his football career never really uh, went in the direction or to the places that he would have hoped. Uh, we talk about the scouting, what he looks for in young players. We talk about uh, his management, doing his coaching badges and what he hopes to uh, to do in the game from there on. It's uh, it's a pretty interesting chat. He's a very, very nice guy. Uh, came to my house the other day, so we sat down and, uh, and had a chat. So this is me uh, on the Rscast chatting to Stephen Bradley. moved to Arsenal how did that come about I mean where were you playing football here in, in Dublin
1: um, I was playing for Lewitt Celtic just, oh yeah just down the road here yeah and um, then I I got selected for the for the Dublin team right and um, Liam Brady came over and, and put on a training session and I wasn't actually selected for the team I was I think I was 16th man at the time and Liam came over and stood beside me on the sideline right and he just turned around and said, You remind me of me when I was a kid, physically, like you know, right. I was skinny and gangly, and, and uh, I, I just laughed. And because Liam was obviously a big hero to me, like, sure. you now everything everybody knew Liam. So for him to speak to me as a 11 year old kid, I, I was in awe. And then he just said, Where do you play? And I said, Uh, center half, and he and he says, Um, are you good? And I laughed and said, Yeah, so he said, Well, let me see. And he got me on the pitch. and after five minutes he said to me, I want you to go on midfield. I went to midfield and, and uh, after the game he said uh, that was the best performance I've seen from a kid in a long time. So it just grew from there. Liam kept in contact with my mother and and, um, and then eventually I went over to Arsenal.
0: Yeah, was, I remember reading a story at the time like how you were kind of courted by some other clubs as well and, and the connection with Liam Brady. I think obviously you, there's a bit more back backstory to it, but uh, the idea that he sort of called to your house and made sure that you you signed on with Arsenal.
1: Yeah, I, I had um, myself and my mother had a lot of uh, clubs coming to the door. We had Sir Alex Ferguson came to the house and and took us oh, really? for a meal and and where did he take you? Uh, to a place in town right beside um, the Olympia down the lane, a little oh Italian yeah, yeah. restaurant. Really, really discreet. now, and but what was a beautiful place. Like it's obviously a regular of his, so. Um, <laughs> he took, came up and took my family out and we went there for a meal and uh, that was really nice uh, and a lot of clubs did that with their managers around the house all, uh, maybe 10 or 12 clubs I'd yeah. for contracts at the time but I just felt a really strong connection with Arsenal when I went I felt that was a real for such a big club I had I had a real family feel about it and right. people cared about every aspect of the club uh, whether it was just the uh, the, the lad cleaning up around trying and saying hello, or else it was the if the chairman coming in saying hello, or the manager. Or sure. It was everyone just seemed so so family and so uh, friendly. It was for me, it was the only place to be. Really. Yeah,
0: yeah. And did you have to go and do any trials over there?
1: Yeah, um, I went over when I was young. Obviously, I went over when I was twelve, thirteen, fourteen, right up till I till I moved over. But mm. it was never really a, a trial as such. Uh, I think Liam had made his mind up on, on myself mm. very early, so um, right. it was all just to come over on me to get a feel of of the club, and and I went to a lot of tournaments on the continent with them, and uh, again he brought my family and and made a big deal of us. And uh, look, I just oh, I have nothing bad to say about Arsenal, Lord the sure. club. It's they treated me and my family so well. I I loved every minute of it, you know.
0: Right, right, right. And so when you got over there, what was it, two thousand and four?
1: When you moved over? Yeah, yeah, I would have been... Well, I would have moved over at 15, but I couldn't uh, officially sign until 16. Right, yeah, was yeah. the age, but... Um, so, yeah, luckily, I loved it. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when you're there, what's what what's it like when you're 15, 16 years of age, you moved over from, from Dublin, you're now living in London, and you're at a club like Arsenal, um, the opportunity, you must be thinking, well, hey, this is like... This is amazing. This is a fantastic opportunity for me, obviously as a person, but as a as a footballer. I mean, was it was there a lot to learn as a player?
1: Yeah, there was there was so much to learn. You you come from being regarded as the best schoolboy player in Ireland at the time to to going off to Arsenal, where you, you're you're competing with players from Brazil, from France, from from Iceland, um, from everywhere, Germany. So uh, and they're the best players in their region. So mm. it becomes a total different ball game. You're you're in with you've quickly realised you're in one of the biggest clubs in the world, like you know. Yeah. Um But uh, the opportunity just hits you when you walk into the training ground, and and again you you f- you feel how big the club is and and how important it is to people. Yeah. Um,
0: is it intimidating in a way when you go in and you you, you know uh, there's always that great story that. Um, I think Nick Hornby talks about in uh, Fever Pitch, he talks about Gus Caesar, you know, who was derided as this kind of joke figure, but was mm. probably the best player that anybody ever played with at school mm. level or, you know, county level, yeah. regional level, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so when you come in as, uh, you know, the best young midfielder in Ireland, to then play alongside some of the best young midfielders from England and from all over Europe, yeah. maybe all over the world, is it is it something... That inspires you, or is it kind of be intimidating? How, how did it work out?
1: No, for me, it, it, it never. I never got affected by um, players from other countries. Uh, I, I always maybe it's from from Dublin. You go over, you have a chip in your shoulder, and you think you're the best either way. So I, that was yeah. the way I always felt and and I never forget when, when Liam signed me and Pat Rice, the, the, the thing they said to me was always feel you're the best player on the pitch. Even if you're not, you have to feel that way because if you don't straight away, you're at a disadvantage. So yeah, I always kept that in my mind and I used to always go onto the pitch feeling I'm better and for my team was David Bentley, Sebastian Larson, Patrick Craig, Stephen O'Donnell, Mark yeah. Foltz, all them, Graham Barra. So we we had a good team. Like, but I always felt I was the best, and maybe I wasn't. But I had to feel that way just to just to make myself feel at and home.
0: And but, but that's something that they instill in
1: you. Yeah, in all the players. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. I'm sure it's said to a lot of the players when you go into Arsenal, you can't feel that another player is, is better than you because mm. once you feel that and you show that weakness, well then. You very quickly you'd be out the door, like because it's such a big club and has such a turnaround of players, both youth and first team. You've got to be fighting every day to stay there, And, yeah. and uh, and I did that at the start, and, and obviously I wavered, but at the start, that's what that's why I know.
0: Right, and did you, did you feel like you improved
1: as a player at the start, yeah? Yeah, yeah definitely at the start. Uh, the train we were getting off Neil Banfield, Steve Bald, Pat Rice. Um, Don Howe, Don Givens, and then obviously the the boss as well. Like we got some unbelievable coaching. Uh, yeah. And then the players are with it takes you up another level as well. So I definitely became a better player, um uh, my first say fifteen to seventeen I became a better player definitely. Right. Um uh what happened then? <laughs> um basically I, I look I I've made no secret. I from me I let myself down. Um I took for granted then I signed a professional contract and and I bought my own house and own cars and everything else and and I took my foot off the pedal in terms of uh, wanting to be the best again and Mm -hmm. like I said, once you do that at a club like Arsenal uh, very, very quickly you get found out and and that's exactly what happened myself and you only realise when you've left the club that you've messed up like, you know and um, obviously you can't afford to do that at such a big club and, and I did it so uh, that's what happened
0: i think they talk a bit don't they about people having too much too young in mm. a way is that you know is that i mean you're an example of yeah. it i guess yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah? definitely i i uh, truly believe that that you can get too much too young because like i said i've i've, I've it's happened to me i've lived it like you know and yeah. um, i had the hunger i had the desire to be the best when i was over there early and i believe i was the best and then uh and then obviously i got a lot and and uh didn't put as much work into my craft as I should have.
0: I guess that's not something that's necessarily unusual. And I would imagine that, you know, you're not the first young player for that to happen to. So, I mean, is it something that the club were able to identify in a way and sort of, you know, talk to you about and take you to one side and go, look, standards are slipping, you know?
1: Yeah, many of the coaches had had a chat with me at, at the time and said, look... You're, you're missing your gym work you're missing staying back after training you're, you're not working hard enough many of them had that chance mm. again I can't blame anyone at Arsenal or any of the coaches it was, it was me thinking at the time that uh, I knew best because yeah. like I said I'd, I'd had all this uh, finances and I could do whatever I wanted I had a lot of time you're in London and I uh, Obviously, I could go back and change you all, but right, right then and there, you didn't, you didn't understand any different, you know. Yeah,
0: I suppose it is a difficult thing when you're 17. You look back at the decisions you make at 17, 18 years of age, mm. and you think, "Oh God, I made some stupid ones." But you know, you're not doing them with yeah. a full bank account and, yeah. and everything else.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I was a, I, I. It does be funny. I, I speak to my friends at home now, and we're obviously all married with kids and all now. And uh, at at that time, they were still out doing whatever you're doing getting a friend so messing about or still in school at the time whereas I was living in London now, my own home and, and car at the time and it's totally different world. you have to you have to grow up quicker but yeah. you have so many more opportunities to do the wrong thing because everything's there in front of you yeah. like I said you have time and you have money and that's a bad combination yeah for it can be off, you know? yeah yeah yeah
0: and you suffered like a bad robbery wasn't
1: that yeah that was uh, a bit later on um, I'd already um I'd met the boss and I'd met Liam and um, they both said, look, my future lied away from the club. To, uh, mm. So a few teams are in for me. Um, I was going to go to maybe Fulham at the time. And mm. um, what happened was, um, I, look, I had a, a break-in at my home and I got stabbed. And uh, that, that put me out for for over a year. Yeah, I couldn't play football for over a year. Yeah. Holy crap. So uh, that really... You got stabbed? Yeah, I got stabbed in the head and in- I broke four ribs and yeah. Jesus. Yeah, so it was, um, it was obviously very violent and uh, it took me a while to get over it. But that's. Um, it actually helped me in one way because it made me actually go and speak to people and realise that that's why I can so easily speak about my faults and, mm. and what I did wrong because after I got attacked I had to go and speak to someone because at the start I was holding her all in. and so so, we of cancelling. Yeah, and I wasn't speaking to anyone. I was... I was there I've always been that person that I I take things in I won't let it out but then when that happened I I went and spoke to people professionally and um, it helped me realise my mistakes but it helped me speak about them and get them out and and talk about it and, and that's why I've been so open because obviously I got stabbed and, and everything else that happened and now I feel I can help kids that are going to England or, or sure. playing football you know.
0: Sure yeah and I mean has that changed your perspective on things just generally speaking that you'd be more open now willing yeah. to talk about things that are let's say a bit traumatic or
1: Yeah definitely I, I'm I'm a lot more open now to, to speak to people because I think uh, men in general have have this sort of persona that we're tough and we don't like to talk like, sure that for me was broken down when I was 20 years of age when I had to speak to people professionally mm. so for me I've no issue opening up in front of uh, people about the right things and, and uh, if I feel I can help someone by opening up I'll do that Like sure know. sure.
0: so like a year out of the game at, at that age and it's still pretty young you know in a, in a footballer's career um Fairly formative as well. I mean, how how much of a setback was that then in terms of your own playing career? And what were your what were your ambitions then at, at the end of that year? Was it to sort of right? Let, let me see how far I can go and and really kick on. What was your what was your head like at that point?
1: Um, at that point, to be honest, I had no interest in, in playing football again. I, I felt I felt football had owed me something. Man, I felt the world owed me something. Everything was against me. Um, because. I was angry, basically, at what mm. had happened, and then I had a good conversation with Liam Brady, and, and and basically, Liam said, "You need to go back into football, like, no, don't waste it." And mm. and um, so I did. I started playing again, and I went and done for two or three months. Uh, didn't enjoy it at all. I had no feel for the place. I didn't enjoy the football, the my environment. I didn't mm. enjoy it. So came home again, and I signed for dropped to United. Yeah, uh, for three years and. I have to say that sort of reignited really my love for for the game again sure. and, and uh, really enjoyed it. It was the best thing that I could have done then. I had a few offers to go to France and, and or back off to England lower leagues and uh, I, I'm delighted I actually stayed and, and played here.
0: I mean, a lot of players would say, OK, League of Ireland is... Is not up there with you know the high ambition. So you go from Arsenal, let's say, mm. and then uh, alone at Dunferm and You're playing for Droyer United. Yeah. Was there any ambition to to get back over there, or were the offers not good enough, or was it were you just happy playing uh, playing here? And was yeah. that was that sufficient for what you wanted from the game?
1: Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I, I had the offers. Um, a summer championship at the time because a lot of clubs knew me from mm. playing for Arsenal and captain the reserves or, or the youth team so a lot of clubs knew me and, and knew my abilities. so I had a lot of offers but for me it was about me understanding in my head that I had never for me my abilities I should have played for Arsenal and I never did I never reached that level um and whether it's right or wrong, I decided in my head that that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So I wanted to be happy again. I wanted to play football for the right reasons again. Right. And I didn't want to go back over and and uh, and try and settle s- almost. Yeah, for something that yeah. was not me. Like you know, I wanted to be happy. I, I in my own head, I had accepted I was. I hadn't. And I know I was only young, but I accepted I hadn't reached my potential in playing for Arsenal. That yeah. was my dream, and I hadn't done it, and I I knew the reasons why. So I just wanted to go back. And be happy and play right. football with a smile on my face. Again. Sure,
0: and was was being home was being back
1: in Ireland a help
0: in yeah. that regard as well.
1: Yeah, being back with my mother was was a big factor in that. I'd been away from fifteen to to twenty twenty one, and it's a, it's I know it's only five years when you look back, it's nothing. But at that time, it's mm. uh, it's a lot of times being away from your mother, you know. And that was a big factor for me that um, I got to come home and, like I said, be happy and and be clear in my head that. I was a professional footballer in Ireland and I was with my family which was a big big thing for me at the time and yeah. like I said I'd, I'd realised in my head well, rightly or wrongly people would say but in my head I'd come to a conclusion that I was never going to be what I should have been and right. so I wanted to be happy alright well once you're happy that's the main thing yeah
0: All right, that's part one of my chat with Stephen Bradley. The only reason I'm breaking it up is because, uh, for various reasons, we have to we have to work in a break somewhere in the show. So right now, some of you might get an ad, some of you won't. But after the ad, or the no ad, we're going to pick straight back up on the interview with Stephen. We talk about what he did after Drogheda United. Uh, Graham Barrett, we talk about him a bit. He was another very highly rated young Irish player who almost, almost made it at Arsenal. And uh, again, uh, circumstances went against him. You'll hear... Uh, what that was about as well, we talk about coaching, what he looks for in young Irish players. Are there any Irish prospects to look out for and all the rest? Uh, so either ad or no ad right now. And, uh, and then we continue.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. And you went from where, from Drada to Shamrock Rovers, was it? No, um, well, I went from Droda to Falkirk. All oh, right, and, um, the, uh, went out I went out to Falkirk. I went out to because Graham Barrett was over there, and I played with lived with Graham right. at Arsenal for four years. And he was a guy who who who
0: nearly made it. Yeah. Um, I think I remembered. I can't remember. It could have been the season of the Invincibles, where he was just starting to get on, on, in the fringes of the squad, and then I think he he got ill, didn't he? Got something like glandular fever. Yeah. yeah. And again, and I think that obviously set him back. So it just shows you, you know, sometimes yeah. the opportunity knocks for for a young player.
1: Yeah, Graham was when I moved over. Graham was outstanding. He was uh, like all the talk was Graham Barrett. Yeah. Um, I went and and. Uh, watched him play for the reserves I watched him play for the fourth team in pre-season friendlies and then he played for the fourth team yeah. uh, in, in the Premier League and FA Cup and he was Champions League away I think in Russia I think he was on the bench or I'm not sure if he played but mm. he was involved a lot like you know and then uh, the boss really rated him everyone rated him Pat Rice everyone around the club thought he had a really bright future at Arsenal like he was the next big yeah. to come through. And, and then one day he just couldn't get out of bed, he had glandular fever, and, and uh, we didn't know at the time where it was, but that's what it turned out to be. And I think it knocked him off his feet for an, up to a year, like yeah. You know? And I I was living with th- at the time, so I seen firsthand the effect I had on him, like he actually couldn't walk, like you know. Wow, um, and and those times we used to come to the train round and go on the treadmill and try and do a 10k walk or a 5k walk, and after 40 seconds, he'd be. Just wrecked, yeah, on the ground, like you know, and and that for, to see someone that prided himself on being physically fit and strong, yeah, to to that, like it was, uh, it was really uh, shocking. Thing yeah, was, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, it just shows, doesn't it? You know, that um,
0: as talented and all as you might be, unless the opportunity knocks or or something sets you back in that way, it can just have such a detrimental effect on on your career. I think it it must have had like a, a fairly big effect on him for a number of years you know because he never I mean even if he didn't make it at Arsenal you know to to talk about a player of that talent maybe he might have found his way at like a mid-level Premier League club but yeah,
1: he still went Graham he still went and had a decent career he's played for Ireland senior team a lot of times He played for Coventry Falkirk he's played a lot of senior games but I think you're right for for again for Graham's ability and for where he was in his career, I think we all expected him to, to be in the Arsenal, in and around the Arsenal force team for the yeah. next five, six, seven years, you know, and I think Evan at the club expected that. Um but Again, it goes back to when you're at such a big club like Arsenal. When he got sick and came back, there was maybe three or four forwards who would come in ahead of him. Like, yeah, you know, and yeah. that's just the way it goes. The
0: window's gone. Yeah, the window's that's gone. The, so, what was the Falkirk experience like? I considering loved it. You, you, Yeah, much yeah. better than Dunfermline.
1: Yeah, no, I just felt I was I was ready again. I felt mentally ready to to go and and uh, like I said, I'd made the decision a couple of years before I signed for Drotter that I was happy being at home. Yeah, and uh Went through that in my head and I'm came to terms with that. So again, I wanted to play to be happy. Falkirk came, went over, and Neil be happy. We lived with Graham, went back over. My family, we lived together and loved everything about Falkirk. How yeah. we played, where I stayed, um, the manager John Hughes was brilliant. I loved it. Um, stayed there for, for six months, seven months, and then. Uh, Came down to discuss my contract for the next year and couldn't agree on a contract, so came home to, right. to Shamrock Rovers then again. Okay. And Graham, play, Graham Barrett played for Shamrock Rovers for a while, didn't he? Yeah, Graham came home, We just keep following each other around. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was at Shamrock Rovers then, and Michael O'Neill, um, who was the manager at the time, asked mm. me about Graham Barrett. Obviously, knew I'd played with him, and um, look, I couldn't speak highly enough of Graham, but at that time, then, he'd had his knee injury and stuff, yeah. which. which uh, Obviously, then sort of finished Graham as, as being the player he was, and but he came home for for five or six months and, and played, I and mean, we won a league together, and played in Europe, so that was nicely. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you enjoyed the the Rovers experience.
1: Loved it. Uh, again, it's my local club. Sure. Pata, so it's it's I've seen this stadium before it was completed. I it was sitting it there the empty years, for, a for a while, for wasn't it? it for yeah. Years, so <laughs> uh, used to drive by all the time, and think. I hope well just prayed he got it done because yeah. the area needed something like that. and needed uh, something for kids to look up to, you yeah. know, and we never had it and, and, and then we got it and for me to, to play there and to be fortunate enough to win a league and play in Europe and mm. was a was a massive honour for me, yeah.
0: The first time I ever saw Arsenal live in person was uh against Shamrock Rovers. Oh. Um it was sometime in the eighties and yeah, it yeah, could have been. And I think all the games in England were called off because they had some really bad weather and Arsenal needed a game. Right. So there was weeks without a game. So they played at, at Milltown, the old uh, ground in Milltown. Yeah. And I think Pierce O'Leary was playing opposite David right. O'Leary. Right. Uh, he was playing for, for Shamrock Rovers. And the uh, place was packed, as yeah. you would expect. Night game, loads of Arsenal fans in there. So the first time I've ever seen them live in person and Shamrock Rovers won. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was just going to say that would have been a decent game too. <laughs> yeah. The top teams wouldn't it have been at that time, like no. you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I was speaking about that last night actually, Rovers against Arsenal, yeah. I think it was 86, no, right. not 100%, but
0: I think I can't remember, yeah. It's yeah, you know, sort of the Rovers historians yeah, will probably no, just, know.
1: Just speaking about to a few people last night, right. Football in general, and that came up, right? Yeah, so.
0: so, um, w- were you always minded to, to go into coaching? Was I, that something you'd thought about?
1: Yeah, I again, um, I I like to uh, really really think about things what I do. Well, mm. I I don't like to rush into things and um, and then regret. It. I like to really think it through about the positives, negatives, what could go wrong, what could over- and I And I decided again from a from a very early age that I wanted to be a manager or a coach, like. Right. Um, and again, the reasons being that I knew the ability that I had, and I knew. I'd never been given enough to, to make that ability become even greater. Sure. So, um, and I knew how, now, how to help other players become better. Yeah. And so that was always a thing for me and then I started to watch games and I, I understood tactically and and um, all that side of the game. So, coaching for me, maybe at 24, 25 or something, I'd I'd already decided I wanted to
0: do. And is that when you started doing your badges and Yeah, I started yeah. at
1: twenty four. I started with my badges at twenty four and I retired playing football at twenty seven, like you know. What, what, did you have to retire? No, no, no injuries, no no nothing. I had a lot of offers when I when I did retire again to keep playing and again I'm only thirty one, I could keep playing in the league now. Like boy, yeah, um did, I did have no it? desire to, to, to go and do that anymore. My desire, no. my passion is in managing and coaching. Uh like I said earlier on, my the reason being I'd I decided very, very early on in my career that I'd never reached my full potential and that was to play for Arsenal force team. Yeah. So for me everything else was falling short. Right.
0: And do you still I mean do you play recreationally at
1: all, yeah? Yeah, still? I, I still try and play with my my friends or, or if there's a charity game or like I said, it mm. it's, you still get things ringing up and ask you to come out of retirement and play but it doesn't uh I've no interest in doing that. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's mad. Twenty seven. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I decided very early, and to be fair, it was a big decision. You're only yeah. twenty seven. A lot of people say you should be coming to your prime, but for me, I'd like I said, my decision was made at very early on that uh, it was time to.
0: Right. Time I mean, so like at twenty seven years of age, and you were playing League of Ireland football. I mean, were you working? Do were you doing another job as yeah, well? I had yeah, to,
1: I had to go and work, and uh, financially, I'd done okay out of game. Not not. Unbelievable because I'd spent a lot of money obviously but I'd done okay and uh, I had a property in England and one in Ireland um, so I'd done okay like you know but mm. I still had to work to, to yeah. get through and, and support my wife and my kids so uh, no I still had to work for, for a few years to, to get myself ready What did you go into? Uh, a bit of everything really right, uh, Whatever My brother yeah I had yeah. my uncle uh, a bit of everything anything that was really going I I was never afraid to work like you know sure. that was me from, from a very young age and and uh, Look, like, like I said, I made my decision. I knew I'd have some tough times because football was all I'd known. And right. I, well, it didn't. I'm not afraid to change. Once my mind is made up, it's it's right. made up, and, and I have,
0: okay. So you're working and you're doing your coaching badges. And are you sort of actively
1: looking for work as a coach? Are you you know volunteering anywhere? No, I hadn't. Um, my mindset wasn't to to basically stop playing and and get into coaching straight away. I needed jobs straight mm. away. My mindset was to be to try and travel and become the best coach I could be like, and, right. and, and uh, I'm still trying to do that but I couldn't like, that was my mindset at the time and, and then uh, around a year later Shama Grover's offered me the under 19's job to come in and take the under 19's and work with their school boys right. uh, the young kids so uh, again I went in with, just to basically have a go and see if it really was what I thought it'd be and yeah. again it was more I loved it sure. um, and it really got me and, and once I started that then that was it. Right. under meander all to
0: and obviously this season, then you've been you've been in charge. Uh, how has that been in terms of uh, the experience, but also I guess the pressure and the expectation that comes with being the man in charge of of a, of a big club here.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's a lot different from coaching. Yeah, uh, coaching. You- Obviously a lot of preparation goes into coaching, you go out, you plan your sessions, uh, you put your sessions on, you make sure it's right for the players, you make sure it's it's geared towards what you want to do that weekend and, and all that. But managing this is a totally different ball game. Like you know, it's uh there's so many tough decisions to be made and, and need to be made very quickly and mm. you're dealing with a lot of agents, a lot of people on the board, players, you're dealing with twenty eight different characters and sure. Uh It's it's a lot uh, it's a lot different than coaching and again when you look at the likes of the boss with with Arsenal it's amazing that he can he has sustained at the top for so long and still being regarded as one of the best in the world is, is frightening. Like yeah. the deal for that amount of time I think people yeah. overlook exactly what he's done. Like you know?
0: Sure. I I agree. Yeah. I agree. The the it's, level of consistency. Yeah, I know people people get frustrated
1: and people go, well, oh, top four, top nobody else. No, it's somebody's done. done. It. You look at Manu at the time yeah. you now, like you know, obviously Sir Alex has stepped away and uh Europa League missed out in Europe. Mm. Like, people really overlook what, what yeah. the boss has done, like, you know, and kept the feeling around the club that it's a it's a family club, but it's obviously a, a massive, massive, sure,
0: club. and and changed quite a bit, like over the last ten years,
1: anyway, with the, yeah, the with the ground, money and everything the, else the and the new ground. training ground, yeah. Like there's so much, it's it's unbelievable. It mm. really is. Like when you when you think. He's done all that and still managed one of the best teams in the world. Yeah, it's it's actually frightening. Like you know, yeah. I think uh, when it's really it's scary. It's scary. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable what he's done.
0: Um, you're obviously a very different character from him, but is uh, are there things that you've learned from him or taken from him in, in terms of the way that you do your own job now?
1: Yeah, there is actually uh, little things. I, I played a preseason game for the first team. I think we played Peterborough um, away when I was in, in around the fourth team and. Uh, one thing that struck me was the manager at half time and, and uh, after the game stayed out of the dressing room for a, for a bit and then would come in the dressing room and, mm. and say very little uh, like but make really clear points precise points what he wanted but wouldn't come in and and just talk for 15 minutes about nonsense he'd come in and, and talk for 4 or 5 minutes but really really precise and what mm. he wanted and really clear and uh, for me even as a young lad then I thought how good that was it really stuck in my mind and I've tried to Bring that into my style as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good thing to have. Yeah. yeah, they often talk about how he doesn't say a great deal at half time, but yeah. you know, how much can you say? You don't need 10, yeah. 12 minutes of ranting, do you? Yeah, you know, I things that.
1: And even back then as a player, I remember sitting there as a young player thinking, and I know we were in the dressing room with the Vieiras, the, the PTs at the time, and mm. I was sitting there thinking, and I remember looking at these players who were obviously world class and they were taking every word in that the manager was saying. So for for me it made such a big impact with these sort of players and I thought yeah. right this is this is really good stuff I'm getting here like, you yeah. know?
0: and is it is it slightly difficult because you are only 31 and maybe you're dealing with players who are I don't know if rowers have players who are a bit older than that yeah. you know there's some experienced heads I'm sure um, I mean a manager people think right he's, he goes and he picks the team and that's it but like picking the team means disappointing seven others and whoever else isn't going to make the, the bench is that is that the most difficult part of it?
1: Um, yeah, it is because uh, a lot of times you're leaving out players that maybe deserved to play but you're just picking a team to try and win that game. Like you know, mm. it does not, I think once players realise that you're not trying to harm them or, or do them an in injustice, you're just trying to win the game for the betterment of the group. I think mm. once they see that and they, they really believe that, a lot of times, 90% of the time, players will respect that and want uh, you to speak to them properly and explain... Uh, a lot of your decisions i think players are fine like, yeah, yeah yeah
0: and so what's the the, the future then with, with rovers are you
1: staying on and um i'm not sure yet um i've spoke to the club obviously and um, i'm i'm currently applied from me away for pro license right uh, so um if i get on that um well then I'll, I'll I'll speak to the club if if the club want me to obviously right yeah um again I, I need to speak to Arsenal as well and, and see where they stand on it so.
0: because you know you are uh, scouting here for Arsenal
1: yeah I do um, I do a lot of scouting for for Arsenal about a senior and junior level right uh, up and down north of Ireland and southern Ireland so uh, again um, I love I love that side of things yeah. uh, it's different it helps me as a coach as well to look at the game a bit different and, and really analyse players instead of the game so uh, I really enjoyed that and and I love again being back involved with the club yeah. yeah
0: and when you when you go look at games and you go look at players I mean are you looking for anything specific or is it just like okay uh, I, I want to find who's the best player in this group or who's the best player on that team and are they then good enough to go and and, uh, and play for Arsenal
1: no I think um, it, it takes something different to play for Arsenal you have to yeah. have something and, and and I think the reason why um, the boss brought me into to do mm. uh the job that I'm doing I think I understand what it takes to be in the building when you're in when you're in the training ground when you because when you go in there it's a total different ball game like you know every day you have to prove yourself and I think I understand the mentality and and for me that's a big part of spotting players like you you'll see players with ability and you'll see players that have good attributes but uh, mentality and, and the characteristics are, are massive because like, I understand what they are gone into.
0: How, how do you then identify that because let's say very, it's probably easy enough to say okay well that guy's a great player and he's got a sweet left foot and he can yeah. turn, he can put the ball on a sixpence from 60 yeah. yards, you can see all those things. Yeah. How do you how do you judge a, a player's character? Obviously you've got to speak to him, maybe speak to his coaches but I mean it must be the the most uh, difficult thing to get get a hold of, right?
1: Yeah it is but that's That's the details. That's why you have to do your job properly. That's why you're employed by Arsenal because they expect you to find all that out. You know, it's not just like you said, any man could show up and say, Oh, there's the best friend to pitch. Yeah, that's quite obvious to a lot of people. Um. Everything else is you go and watch him train, you watch him warm down, you watch him uh, kill down. uh you, you go on through social media, you see you see what he's like in terms of everything, how he acts, how he behaves, because all that is massive when you go into it Wow, football. you even look
0: at like you look at their Twitter yeah, and Facebook and stuff. Yeah, I think stuff. you have to. I think
1: yeah. it's all out there now. It's it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's Instagram, and I think you get to understand the players' mentality and 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 the way they act. And are are young players told this now I don't are, know. are they aware yeah, of it yeah, I mean I, is that
0: something that if you were working with the schoolboys at Rovers you would say look yeah. be aware that if you're serious about making it in football that whatever you put on social media you put up something stupid on Snapchat or Twitter or whatever it might come back to haunt you
1: yeah I think uh, that would be my uh, sort of feedback to the players we have like you know yeah. that be very very careful what, what you do on social media because like I said i uh, I don't know. if I'm the only one that does it, but I, I know um, that's that's what I do. I, I obviously look at his ability on the pitch, no doubt. But you have to, you have to see with their like mentality, character. You have to see everything about them, like yeah. You know? And uh, like I said, social media is a big one for me, like you know. Yeah.
0: And so, like uh, when I grew up in the in the '70s, Arsenal was chock full of. Uh, uh, Irish players, you know Leary and Brady and yeah. Stapleton, Northern Irish guys. So like they're having this Irish connection, and and Graham Barrett was like the closest thing we got. Yourself, yeah. you yeah. know, and uh, nearly making it yeah. uh, into the first team. So are there any uh, are there any Irish prospects we should be keeping an eye on, or have you got to keep that under under wraps? Yeah, no
1: there's a the, look. There's a there's a couple now that we're looking at, at the moment, but there's one that's that's obviously moving over. Um, Jordan McNeff, who who's uh, from Derry, mm. a boy from Derry, and. Uh, Jordan's a really good footballer, you know. Where, um, what position is he? Center midfield. So, right. so Jordan, Jordan's a, a good footballer, obviously, and, and uh, he's one. Uh, he's one to look out for, yeah, all definitely. Right. But uh, hopefully, we get a few more back in the building now and, and get that Irish contingent back up. Absolutely, but it's all yeah. on you now. The big responsibility. <laughs> 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 well, hopefully, we do. That's look. The club, everyone I speak to over there, love uh, the atmosphere and, and uh, the vibe that we bring to the place. And, sure. and uh, there's still a lot of Irish that work behind the scenes over there, yeah, you know. Yeah, of course. And, yeah. And, uh, they are always saying to me well, can we get more over can we get more <laughs> over like, you know so um, look we just need to make sure again that the right the right players first of all but sure. the right really characters and the uh, right really attitude to go and play for Arsenal
0: alright well listen uh, best of luck in finding those players and yeah. uh, thanks a for coming in no appreciate problem. it
1: thank you thanks very much
0: There you go. That's my interview with Stephen Bradley. Thank you very much indeed to him. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Interesting guy. And he is tasked with finding us the the Irish Lionel Messi. Maybe he could just find us a, another Liam Brady. No pressure there, Stephen, whatsoever. Just, you know, Liam Brady, Mark II. That'd be grand. Uh, but good luck to him in his search and uh, his future endeavors in in football management. Um, what else? I mean there's not a lot else is there because uh, there's no football this weekend. we can we can worry about the rest of it next weekend uh, James and I will be here on Monday though as ever during the interlull we'll have an cast Extra for you and I should remind you or just tell you of course that we are doing a live podcast it's in the garage in Highbury in Islington on Thursday the 24th of November so the PSG game in the Champions League is on Wednesday the 23rd and we'll be doing the podcast myself uh, and James will be joined by Amy Lawrence and Philippe O'Claire for an evening of Arsenal chat and waffle and nonsense we'll have all the usual stuff audience q and in the second part of the show and whatever else happens to, to crop up. So do feel free. Um, tickets are on sale now from myticket.co.uk. You can find details on arsblog.com. You can find them on our Facebook page. If you go to my Twitter, uh, twitter.com forward slash arseblog, um, on the web, there's a pinned tweet which has a link uh, to the tickets as well. So uh, various ways of finding uh, your way to the ticket. But go to myticket.co.uk and search for Arscast, and you can get your tickets there. It'd be great to see you. We can uh, have a chat, have a beer, and hopefully we'll be talking about uh, winning our group, our Champions League group. That would be nice, wouldn't it? So uh, that's Thursday, 24th of November. Other than that, not a lot else to be going on with. So I think we're, uh, we're going to leave it there. Um, have yourselves a great weekend, wherever you are in the world, uh, whatever you're doing. Uh, be safe. Be good. Be nice. Hug your dogs. Or your cats. If you don't have a a dog, a cat will do, I guess. I I like cats, but i got a dog, so hug your dog. Hug someone else's dog if you don't have a dog. If you don't have a dog and you want a dog, go rescue a dog from the the local shelter. There's someone in there who's going to look at you and who will, will just love you forever and ever. Well, as long as they're alive, dogs don't live as long as we do, which is terrible. Can't someone breed a dog that just stays alive as long as humans? Anyway, I'm just trying to say, be nice, be good, take it easy, look after each other, do the right things. And when you're finished hugging the dogs, don't forget to hug each other. Everything feels better with a hug, it's true. So look, rather than the uh the theme music tonight, I think we'll go out with a song. I was trying to trying to pick one that might be appropriate or just might catch the mood. Hopefully this one does the trick. Uh, Have a great weekend. Catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Mother, mother, there's too many of you to cry. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you die. things we Oh, but who are they to judge us? Our oh, you know we find. Bring here today. Oh, pick oh, oh. it light and pick it sad Don't punish me. There's brutality Brother, Come on, talk to me Brother, So you can see